It's all a fugazi. You know what a fugazi is? No. Fugazi. It's a uh, fake. Yeah, fugazi, fugazi. It's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with another Hot Commodities episode here. Today we're talking deep sleepers. So we're talking those guys that are dart throws, the guys that you're taking at the end of the draft, not guys that you expect to contribute for you. If you if they don't work out, you just cut them and, and, and move on with your life. So um, we're going to get into, I think, I don't think we have any quarterbacks and tight ends. Do you have any quarterbacks and tight ends? No, uh, they're just no. wide receivers and running backs uh, uh, today. We didn't plan on that, but that's how it worked out. So Danny, how are you doing today? Uh, doing well, doing well, yeah. We're just kind of going going through the guys that are going 10th round or later that, to be honest, some of the guys that we have are just criminally underrated at the, the best ball ADP at this point. So if, if you're doing any drafts, you're doing any of these $1, $5, or heck, even higher stake drafts, make sure you get these guys in every freaking one because it, it, their ADP is going to rise by the start of the season, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I know a couple of my guys for sure are going to be uh, rises, especially because one of them's a rookie and he's just going to get a lot of hype. Um, so, uh, without further ado, let's hit that intro and then we'll get right into it. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. Just want to make sure you're ready, brother. Show me the money. All right, so first up, I'll go first, I guess. Uh, Chase Edmonds, running back for the Arizona Cardinals. This one, to me, I don't know how the hell he's going past the 10th round. To me, like, I, I don't – like, I mean, I guess all these guys are going past the 10th round, and I think it'll change by the time the season starts. Uh, the Tony Pollards, the Alexander Madisons, we kind of steered away from these guys when we were going through these because we know these are very popular sleepers. Everyone knows that. Um, they're basically, handcuff like, the best handcuffs in fantasy football. And – the reason I'm talking about Chase Edmonds here is because I think he's in the same category as those guys, if not maybe even more standalone value than those guys. So how good is he at football? Let's start with that. He ranked number six in true yards per carry last year and number eight in yards created per touch. So he's obviously explosive. He's electric. He fits their offense very well. He had the third uh, – the, the Cardinals offense – had the third amount, uh, third least amount of time uh, in terms of seconds per snap. So they were running at a very high pace, uh, their offense, and they had a 28% rate of no huddle, which was like more than double the Bills, um, who had 14% who were second place amongst the league uh, leaders. So by far the highest percentage of no, uh, no huddle in the league last year. And this was despite their defense having the most plays run against them. So their defense was on the field a long time, yet their offense was – running at such a high pace. So if their defense, which has improved uh, this offseason with the addition of Isaiah Simmons, hopefully they fire Vance Joseph at some point because he's a shit coordinator. But Patrick Peterson not being suspended obviously helps. Byron Murphy in his second year obviously helps. All this stuff contributes to – I think their defense is not going to be like the greatest in the league, but I, I think it'll be kind of middle of the pack or so. Um, yeah, so if they return to the air raid offense, which is basically what Cl uh, Cliff Kingsbury is known for. He came from the Mike Leach coaching tree, and they kind of got away from it at the end of the year last year because they really didn't have the the horses, the receivers to to run four wide all the time because they like they were running Farrell Cooper and Demir Bird and I mean like they just just some shitty receivers out there as like their third and fourth options. So with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, with Akeem Butler coming back from injury, with 
Uh, Christian Kirk's still there. Larry Fitzgerald's still there. Andy Isabella's in year two. Maybe Keyshawn Johnson is something that like uh, like a depth piece. Maybe they. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they added even one more receiver for um, for depth as well. Um, I expect them to get back to this air raid kind of kind of system. Maybe not full fledged like they were week one against the Lions, but again, high high percentage of no huddle, high paced offense. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, we've talked up Chase Edmonds throughout this offseason. Again, as you mentioned, his current ADP right now is uh, criminally low. Uh, do you have uh, where exactly he's going uh, in terms of like RB replacement and uh, overall? Uh, yeah, okay, so he's going mid-10th round. I don't actually have the yeah. ADP. He was just okay. past the the, um, the parameters I set, which was 10th uh, round or later. Yeah, or, uh, yeah. for, and this is Fantasy Pro's best ball ADP. I don't – you guys have heard my rant on why I don't use expert league ADP. But um, – Okay, so why, all that is relevant. Sorry, I wanted to get into that because I didn't actually make that connection. <laughs> okay, all good. The Go air raid is relevant because they're going to run a lot of plays. Is is the point? And Kenyon Drake, like we all, I love Kenyon Drake. He's my RB ten. I like. I'm going to be targeting him in, like a lot if at the back end of the or early second round or whatever. But let's be honest, Kenyon Drake has never been a workhorse running back going back to his college days. And even if you give Drake twenty rushing attempts per game based on the pace of the offense and the, the positive regression that they'll see from the defensive perspective, that still leaves 10 to 15 rush attempts up in the air, even if you uh, copy and paste over their rush uh, run to pass splits from last year. So Chase Edmonds could have like a 10 to 15 to 18 touch role in this offense if we expect it to be as good as it uh, is kind of um, proclaimed uh, that it could be. So Chase Edmonds to me could be like kind of what Austin Eckler was like when Melvin Gordon was – in his heyday, and Austin Eckler was like a rookie in his second year. I, I could definitely see a world where uh, Chase Edmonds is like a week-in and week-out flex in a PPR league. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we again, you mentioned we saw it last year. He's such an explosive player with the ball in his hands. Again, you mentioned the metrics that uh, prove that point. And to be quite honest, I mean, I, I like Kenyon Drake. He's got great upside. But who's to say that he's ready to take on that full workhorse role that everybody in, in the fantasy industry is touting him for? Like, we've seen the talent. I get that. We said the same thing when he was in Miami. People were going to say, oh, Adam Gase is there. That's why he did. Which is why I still like him on the season. But Adam Gase was there. But Kenyon Drake still hasn't shown it as a player to be able to do it over a 16-game sample size. Now, we both, we both agree the upside is there. But even if he does hit that point, Chase Edmonds on standalone value still has a role in this offense. So getting him outside, again, I think I had it here, uh, the RB54. Like, yeah, he's actually uh, – I want to correct myself on the ADP. He's actually going 162 overall, which is like a 15th-round pick. So he's yeah. like your last pick of your draft. And like I said, uh, uh, the re like he should be up there with the Tony Pollards and Alexander Madisons of the world, if not higher, because I think his standalone value is actually better than theirs. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, Chase, Chase Edmonds literally showed too. And, uh, those guys obviously – again, Pollard, Madison, they have – top 10 upside for an entry case as a, as a handcuff viable, a viable player. But who's saying Chase Edmonds' upside isn't even remotely with them? Because I think it is. As a I player, think his floor is much higher, too, because Kenyon Drake is on the transition tag. He's not playing under a huge contract like Zeke Elliott is with uh, Tony Pollard. He's not about to get a huge contract or, or whatever the case is for Dalvin Cook. I, like, there's a chance that Chase Edmonds just makes this a 50-50 split if he outplays Kenyon Drake. It's not even out of the realm of possibility that, that Kenyon Drake isn't like a full-time workhorse and they're both just kind of 16 touchbacks that you can use interchangeably and you might not be able to predict which week they're um, going to go off. But 
I mean, Kenyon Drake to me, like fifteenth round is way too low. I would t- like I, I said tenth round because that's probably as high as I would take him to be honest. Like I, he he's an elite handcuff in fantasy, and he also has upside to just outplay the starter. Yeah, I agree. Uh, again, the opportunity is there. Not to mention, in terms of actual efficiency, I mean, the yards per carry, uh, true yards per carry, was there for Kenyon Drake. But when you're talking about just making people miss. Chase Edmonds is much better in that regard. I mean, uh, in terms of actual rate, I have it here. I can even put this on the screen for you. Uh, evaded tackles, 34 or 2.4 per game, ranked 35th in the league. In terms of Chase Edmonds, he was a much more just efficient player at Plato making people miss in general. So uh, when I'm looking at that, yeah, I do like Kenyon Drake, but I also like Chase Edmonds. And I see this as more being uh, both viable options, both viable uh, even – Flex plays and for Kenyon Drake probably probably a high uh, end RB two type play, but the people that are just dismissing dismissing Chase Edmonds, hailing Kenyon Drake, have to really take into context of how great Chase Edmonds was last year on that limited, limited sample size. Yeah, and Drake has not has not been a back that's been able to stay like healthy his whole career, and we've never actually seen. It's the Damian Williams argument from last year when people were hesitant on Damian Williams, they were like. Well, we've never actually seen Damian Williams carry a full workload for an entire season. The same is true for Kenyon Drake. He's had stretches at the end of 2017 at points in 2018 and then last year at the end of the year where he's just been super good for fantasy, but he's never done it over a full season. So there's a chance that Drake just gets banged up and, and isn't as effective. And Chase Edmonds, like I said, he's one of the best handcuffs in fantasy. Yeah, I agree. Uh, to actually transition, because I think uh, we've gone through target yeah. Chase Edmonds. I mean, this ADP is ridiculously low. Uh, another another running back that has a ridiculously low ADP at this current point is actually a rookie that uh, I, I genuinely believe will get more hype come draft season. But right now, Zach Moss has an ADP of 198 or the RB64 off the board. That's insane to me. Uh, just looking at the percentages last year, I'll put this on the screen. Bills ranked 7th and run the pass split just last season. A 54.96% pass split to a 45.04% run ratio, which just shows like – their intent is to run the ball, grind the clock, play good defense. I mean, we saw it last year, Josh Allen, Devin Singletary, and a guy I'm actually going to talk about uh, who's replacing in Frank Gore. So back to Moss, 86th overall pick, third round capital, what you need to look for uh, when you're projecting a rookie. Day two, day two capital is huge. Uh, not to mention, there's been multiple reports that the team was actually trying to trade up for this guy. They wanted him so bad. They, they were talking about trading up even into the 70s just to make sure they got Moss. So when, when that trade wasn't able to happen, they were stoked when they were able to get him at the 86 overall pick. But looking straight towards the vacated volume that Franco is leaving behind. 179 vacated touches, 26 red zone opportunities. Red zone opportunities being carries uh, plus targets in the red zone. Actually, I'll put up the graphic too for this. That was more than Devin Singletary last year, just for the record. So uh, Moss figures to not only fill the role uh, vacated by Gore, highlighted through Brandon Bean saying, oh, we want to use him. We want him to take over the role, as Corey mentioned in a previous video when we were talking about Singletary. But I think he could just be a more efficient contributor overall in that role. I'll put, I'll put this graphic up of uh, Frank Gore's overall efficiency last year. It was not good for a guy that got that much volume. 80, 86 in yards created per touch at 0.89, 121st in fantasy points per opportunity at 0.52, 60th in true yards per carry at 3.4, and 54th in yards per touch at 3.9. For a guy that got 179 touches, that output is just flat out not worth at all. Zach Moss is a younger, fresher 
flat out better back at this point in this career. Now, we're not talking about Gore from his 49er days. We're talking about Gore at 36, 37 years old, who flat out has been in the NFL probably five years too long. So you're getting, you're getting a guy with this much workload, even if he's able to fill 90% of the Gore role last year, that's 161 touches or 10 per game with goal line work. So you're getting a guy like that at the 1606 right now behind guys like Duke Johnson, Devontae Freeman, Naheem Hines, Jamal Williams. Like that, that just makes no sense to me, plain and simple. So uh, what are your thoughts on Moss here? Yeah, and one thing that I, I'm, I'm guessing an objection that the, the experienced fantasy player might have is like, well, goal line is the goal line role really even valuable in the Bills offense? Because Josh Allen had like what, like nine rushing touchdowns last year. So you kind of have to compete with the quarterback for goal line opportunities. But I think uh, Josh Allen had five attempts inside the five-yard line last year, and he converted all five. And I'm pretty sure if the, the, the coaching staff could choose whether they want Zach Moss to take those goal line attempts or whether they want their quarterback taking unnecessary punishment like that, they're probably going to choose the running back. So as far as um, Zach Moss might not have like that great of a goal line role, because we saw like the goal line back in, in Buffalo wasn't very valuable last year. I think that could change. I think that might've just been a result of no one was like, as you said, Frank Gore wasn't efficient and Singletary. It's, that's not really his wheelhouse. Yeah, he's, not so, a, he's not just a, a big, yeah, back. No, he's not a bruiser back. And he's also like, yeah, he's also like small as shit. So like, we can't really expect him to be the, um, the goal line back. So I, I definitely like Zach Moss at his ADP. I think plus he also, he also has some, some value in case anything were to happen to Singletary as well. Agreed. I mean, this is, these are the type of backs that again, like Madison's like Pollard, uh, hopefully Edmonds, if he is ADP catches up, these type of backs are the ones that should be filled through the ninth to 12th round. So the fact that you're getting a guy like this at RB 64 outside of, uh, the, the top 15 rounds of the 12th team draft, that's just insane to me because you're basically getting this guy off the waiver wire with an instant role in the offense and potentially even more, say anything were to happen to Singletary, he's shown the capability, especially as a workhorse in college uh, with the capital to be able to step into that role and produce. So yeah, don't, don't draft like Larry Fitzgerald's and like um, fucking even Emmanuel Sanders, Golden Tate. Like don't draft guys like this, like, like draft guys like Zach Moss who have like upside to become like maybe an RB two or whatever. Like those guys are more valuable than having a guy that's just going to fill in on your bye weeks or whatever. So definitely, definitely Moss. I definitely endorse that one, especially in uh, in any kind of league where you have like a lot of flexes or whatnot, because I think you'd be able to plug him in pretty, pretty confidently in a good matchup. So uh, with that, uh, I'm going to move on to our next uh, guy here. And this is a guy I've been tooting the horn of for a couple of years now. And that's Anthony Miller, Chicago bears wide receiver. Um, he plain and simple. He showed a lot of growth through the second half of the season. He was a, a hot like breakout candidate coming into last year as well. And he kind of disappointed his first uh, couple games. He was also coming off a pretty injury riddled uh, rookie season where he played well in like red zone attempts and, and whatnot, but like he also didn't see a lot, like a great snap percentage or anything. But like I said, he showed a lot of growth down the stretch last year. The coaching staff coaching staff showed uh, faith in him late in the season for the last seven games, he posted nine targets or more with nine targets, 11 targets, 13 targets, and 15 targets, all in good matchups too, which is promising because with all of these, with all of these guys, you're basically just hoping that you're able to plug them in. They're, they're not going to become like every week starters for you. So uh, the uh, yeah, the big thing is that he became a full-time player as well. He, he saw 85% of the snaps in five of those seven games. So he was not just like a – a mix in receiver that like came in on like he was your fourth receiver or whatever. 85% of the snaps is, is your second receiver behind Allen Robinson. So 
And Taylor Gabriel's gone. 48 targets are gone from Taylor Gabriel as well as some others from Trey Burton. Um, and I believe Anthony Miller will be the primary beneficiary of this because, like, they had a sneaky wide receiver need going into the draft, and they didn't really address it. It was just kind of Darnell Mooney and, like, some other guys. Some maybe undrafted. Yeah, like, it, it, Anthony Miller is by far the second option in the wide receiving core, and I think he's going to take a big step forward this year. Plus, there's also a chance that Allen Robinson sees kind of like a reduction in targets if, I don't know, Mitch Trubisky isn't the starting quarterback anymore or maybe teams just key in on Allen Robinson because they know that's like the biggest threat in the offense. Yeah, uh, touching upon that too, uh, we're seeing Nick Foles step in. One of his favorite receivers when he was in Philly was actually Nelson Aguilar. And uh, he can, the, Anthony Miller can fully play that role uh, for, the, for the Bears this season for Nick Foles. So uh, I, I just want to briefly mention that because people forget, I don't think Foles is going to return to that Philly heyday. But in terms of his preferred target, it's going to be Robinson. It's going to be Miller. I don't think he's going to be relying on freaking like Cole Komet, Jimmy Graham, any of those guys. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Speaking of Nelson Aguilar, I'll put his splits up on the screen with and without Nick Foles. And as you can see, Nelson Aguilar was more productive with Nick Foles, obviously. He got uh, nearly seven targets a game when Nick Foles was in the lineup. And he also posted uh, better numbers in the red zone, more receptions, better PPR numbers, all that stuff all the way around. And it's 12 games that he played with Nick Foles. So he was like a productive receiver in those 12 games, averaging 12.58 PPR points per game. And Aguilar was the primary slot, as you mentioned, in, in Philly. And uh, Anthony Miller actually plays more slot snaps than, than Nelson Aguilar played. And the, uh, let's also remember that Chicago runs the same system Philly does. Matt Nagy's from the same coaching tree of Andy Reid. So they all, like, basically run the same system. So you can, it's pretty easily to uh, – it's pretty easy to – project um the same role for a player like anthony miller because i mean he played 66 percent of snaps last year and 58.5 were from the slot so he's basically a pure slot receiver so that's definitely bodes well if nick Foles is the um is the primary quarterback and even if mitch trubisky can hold them off for a little bit mitch trubisky had ryan switzer at north carolina and he was his number one receiver who was uh, a primary slot receiver so i think I both, yeah both quarterbacks <laughs> like the slot and for good reason. They're both not very good. So <laughs> they like the easy target that separates. So I definitely endorse uh, Anthony Miller. He's going around like the 12th round right now. So he's definitely like in that range where you want to be taking dart throws at guys. And if he doesn't work out, you just cut him after week two or whatever. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I like Miller a ton. Honestly, uh, you, you know this as well. Me and you kind of just uh, recently made that trade for him in our dynasty league. So I, yeah. I, be I believe in the potential. I think he's a very good player. Uh, steps into that role. In, in general, there's going to be so many valuable receivers that are, are going to be going as sleepers. Anthony Miller is one of the really good ones that I prefer taking chances on, especially given like his upside is really good compared to what we're even uh, remotely valuing at valuing him at at this current juncture in the offseason. So, yeah, definitely go uh, buy Miller at this current ADP because outside of the 12th round, you're not really getting uh, a guy like that who figures to be the number two receiver in his offense like Miller's intending to be. So uh, I, I like that pick a lot. Uh, segueing into my next guy, I actually have a rookie wide receiver from the Jacksonville Jaguars, LaVisca Chanel. He's currently going outside the top 200 players, and he's the wide receiver 71. That's insane to me. Uh, so again, similar Especially to – best ball too, because this is best ball ADP. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, if you want easy money right now, guys, just go, go check what these, uh, what these rookies are going for. Because, like, Moss, Chenault – and even uh, as Corey mentioned, Edmonds and Miller, like these guys are going so low that like you have, you take a flyer on guys that ultimately have way higher upside than when you're even like remotely getting them at. 
And to be honest, their floors are higher than what you're taking them for. So I don't, I don't understand how th this ADP isn't even remotely possible. But going back to Chenault, uh, similar to Zach Moss, like I was mentioning, Chenault represents a highly regarded rookie offensive weapon. Uh, currently going just way too low for the expected value I have for them on the season. So uh, just talking about Chenault quickly, you're getting a player similar to basically what Debo Samuel was last year. Uh, he stepped into the 49ers, second-round pick, versatile, yards-after-catch type player. Uh, I see Chenault as the same. Obviously, the, the main difference is the injury concern coming in, but for, for the price, like, he's going to recover. He's going to be the number two weapon on that offense. And just to pull up the stats, the Jaguars were the ninth highest pass to run split last year. Uh, and there's no reason to believe that that's going to decrease, given the fact that they lost their three best defensive players in Calais Campbell, A.J. Bouye, and Jalen Ramsey since week one of last season. So when you're looking at it, with the natural yeah, – probably Yannick Ngakwe and Telvin Smith still gone. Like, the defense is a mess. For sure. I mean, uh, just looking at it, Gardner Minshew is going to take a step up. He was a rookie quarterback last year. He played phenomenal. You got to project natural transit uh, – yeah. Natural progression, my bad, for a rookie quarterback to his second year. And people are going to say, oh, well, what about DJ Chark? He's the main guy there. He's going to get all the volume. Well, I actually think they can complement uh, each other a ton. I mean, similar to Samuel, George Kittle was a target hog for the Niners, as DJ Chark, we both believe, is going to be for the uh, Jaguars. But both are going to play different roles in the offense. J uh, Chenault's going to be the underneath guy, get him the ball in space. He's going to create yards at the catch. While DJ Chark is providing that downfield presence to the offense. So overall, I mean, you're getting the number two weapon on an offense that was passing at a 61.86% clip last season. Uh, he's going to get the ball. There's going to be a ton of attempts. And you're just getting a guy basically with top 50 value outside of the top 70 overall. So to me, that, that, that's an easy smash. So, Yeah, I definitely love that, uh, the call with Chenault. I, to me, like I, that's just shocking to me, especially of all the rookie receivers. It seems like Chenault has one of the better uh, landing spots in terms of available like uh, room for growth because, like, like, as you mentioned, DJ Chark's really the only established receiver there. D.D. Westbrook's kind of been meh. Same with Chris Conley, Keelan Cole. Like, all these guys, for a team that's going to throw the ball as much as the Jaguars, as, as much as I project the Jaguars to throw the ball, there's plenty of – there's got to be someone who's also relevant there. It can't just be D.J. Chark. Uh, so, if Chenault I, – I believed, uh, like, immensely in the talent of, of LaVisca Chenault. So, if he's healthy, man, we saw Chris Thompson get brought in. Like, it wouldn't shock me if they used Chenault as Chris Thompson. Like, they use him as a pass-catching running back and out of the slot and all that stuff. Jay Gruden's a good offensive coordinator. He'll know how to use a guy like LaVisca Chenault. For sure. I mean, there's going to be plenty of volume to go around. Unless freaking Chark is taking 200 targets, which in that case, he should be drafted as the wide receiver one everywhere. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's going to be a plenty of volume. So, uh, I definitely like that a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of rookie wide receivers, I got another rookie – rookie, not Wookiee – wide receiver – uh, and that's Michael Pittman Jr., wide receiver of the Indianapolis Colts. So um, Michael Pittman was the – I believe he was the 34th pick of the draft. So he's like fringe right. wide receiver uh, – first-round wide receiver. He's barely a second-round wide receiver. And he walks into a situation, uh, as I mentioned for Chenault, his is probably the best of all the, the rookie receivers in that he has really no one uh, outside of T.Y. Hilton, who in my opinion is, is aging and is having trouble staying healthy and has really never been good outside of when Andrew Luck is there. So – I mean, T.Y. Hilton is on his way out. Michael Pittman Jr. has a perfect opportunity this year to just step in immediately and become the wide receiver one by the end of his first year. 
So there's 80 targets up for grabs in the offense from the wide receiver position, as well as 58 more and a major red zone uh, threat is gone in Eric Ebron. So not only can Pittman take over some of those targets that were left up from the receiver, he can also take the primary red zone role from Eric Ebron, who's now in uh, Pittsburgh. Um, My comparison for Michael Pittman coming out of school was actually uh, a teammate of his new quarterback, a former teammate of his new quarterback, and that's Mike Williams. I thought he had, he, his size profile is as good as it gets. He's 6'4", like 220 pounds, just elite physicality down the field. Uh, Mike Williams, for example, had 27 deep targets last year, despite being super inefficient with those targets. And a part of it was Phillip Rivers not being the most accurate down the field last year. But another part of it was uh, Williams just not separating at all. He was basically like forcing every catch to be at a contested catch. And I think uh, Pittman's game from a separation uh, perspective, we saw his 40 time was a lot better than we all anticipated. I think Pittman can do a better job of separating down the field than Mike Williams ever did. And even still, they're going to play the same role. They're, like, There's a reason I comp them to each other. And uh, the coaching staff and, sh- and front office won't shut the hell up about this dude. Michael Pittman, they're just singing his praises constantly. Like They haven't even set foot on a practice field yet, and they won't shut up about the guy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, speaking of Michael Pittman, I was actually, I actually had a higher comp for him. He was the wide receiver eight for me uh, going into the pre-draft. My comp for him was actually Allen Robinson in the sense that big guys, big targets, who are honestly smooth, uh, smoother transition players than you would assume given their size. Like when you're watching Allen get uh, Allen Robinson get in and out of breaks, I do see that type of potential with Pittman. So he, to me, again, Michael Williams, uh, Mike Williams a little bit more stiff. I think Allen Robinson – or not Allen Robinson, Mike Pittman – has actual uh, a lot more wiggle to his game than uh, even yeah. Mike Williams. Yeah, and um, for one thing for rookie receivers is because they're all talented. All, all yeah. rookie receivers that get like top three-round draft capital have talent. So it's not a talent issue. The thing that allows them to produce very early in their, in their pro career is usually comes down to two things. One, it, bec- it comes down to opportunity. Like I said, Pittman has some of the best opportunity of any rookie receiver that there is. There's, it's, it's pretty much just T.Y. Hilton and no one else there. And then number two is, is college production and sustained college production for a long time. Michael Pittman, since his freshman year, has been on the field producing. So experience isn't going to be an issue for him. A lot of, project, a lot of receivers uh, that were drafted this year are projects. Guys like Denzel Mims, for example. I don't expect Denzel Mims to be a big impact his rookie year, even though he has the opportunity available to him. He's um, not, I, comparing uh, Pittman to, to Mims, for example, they were both kind of in the same tier as uh, for me pre-draft. But Michael Pittman was a much more polished player coming out. Yeah. Uh, with Denzel Mims, he's still got a lot more transition to go in terms of actually translating his college game to the NFL. So with, with Pittman, I honestly think he, he could step in as a pro-ready receiver right off the bat and really contribute to a Colts team that desperately needs uh, that number two, maybe even number one target. I'm honestly not a believer of Hilton's playing even 12-plus games this year, to be quite honest. Uh, so, again, you mentioned with Pittman, he just steps into one of the best opportunities in the entire league. And quite simply, these rookies in general right now are getting incredibly undervalued. Yeah, and if you think of last year's rookies, who were the guys that performed? Because if you look at the situations they were stepping into, they're, very, they're eerily similar to what Pittman is stepping into this year. And as well as guys like Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rager, Denzel Mims, who I mentioned, but he's a bit more of a project, LaVisca Chenault, some of these guys are all stepping into air, uh, to opportunities where there's only like maybe one proven target there. AJ Brown last year stepped into an offense that just had Corey Davis, who was kind of not even proven himself. So that's why he broke out. Scary Terry stepped into a situation with like absolutely no established targets. So that's why he broke out. Hollywood Brown came into a situation where there was no fucking 
receivers there was just tight ends and Willie Sneed. Debo Samuel stepped in where it was just George Kittle. Like all these receivers that came in, even DK Metcalf, it was really just Tyler Lockett there. So all these, the young receivers that came in, uh, I expect Pittman to do a similar thing. I, I would not shock me if Michael Pittman is a top 24 receiver at his rookie year. I would not be surprised either. Again, uh, the opportunity is just so good to the point where, as you mentioned, those rookie wide receivers, they were looked at, oh, okay, maybe they, they won't contribute year one. They're not ready to make that impact. They're not ready to sustain uh, top, top receiver uh, production. But when it, you got to understand that every year, there are going to be guys that step into the perfect role as Pittman is that are just naturally talented, naturally developed players that can step in right away and contribute. So uh, people were sleeping on even A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown was one of my favorite receivers last year. As soon as he lands in Tennessee, oh, he doesn't have the quarterback stability. He's not going to have the target share. But at the end of the day, when, when you have a talented player stepping into a position to ultimately receive targets right off the bat, they're going to produce. Cream rises to the top. It's, it's basically as simple as that. If, if everyone's kind of a question mark in the offense, which is the case for many of these rookie landing spots that some of these players landed into, the cream is going to rise to the top. If, if Michael Pittman's the most talented receiver on the team, which I believe he is, Agreed. outside of maybe prime T.Y. Hilton, which he's not that player anymore, um, Michael Pittman should rise to the top. And Phillip Rivers isn't going to be afraid to sling it. They have a top five offensive line in the league. If he is the downfield threat, he's certainly going to have time to get downfield. So, And the coaching staff is incredible as well. So like, to me, there's not much wrong with Pittman's situation. Yeah, I agree there. I agree there. Uh... Transitioning to our, our last name of the episode, our last sleeper going outside of the first 10 rounds. And uh, my last guy here is McCall Hardman, receiver from the Kansas City Chiefs. He's currently going, he has an ADP of 127, just outside the 10, uh, I believe that's what, the 1007? Uh, yeah, 1007, wide, wide receiver 50. So uh, again, the main argument against Hardman is if you're looking at strictly vacated production, vacated volume from last season, and overall target share that he contributed, it's not much. I understand that Hardman represents a ton of risk and seemingly a high cost for a guy who's only able to garner 41 targets, 26 catches, uh, with 576 total attempts in the top 10 pass run split last season. But I'm here to tell you that he's too talented of a player to stay in that role, plain and simple. So uh, when you're looking at his efficiencies, I'll put it up on the screen, but he was just flat out insane. First in yards per reception, first in yards per target, third in target separation. First in quarterback rating when targeted, and my actual favorite stat of all of them, first in fantasy points per target. Uh, you can see these uh, numbers on the screen right now, but basically, yeah. Uh, heck, this kid turned 41 targets into six touchdowns for a 14.6% uh, uh, rate of touchdown per target, and his six, uh, six touchdowns on 26 total catches was 23.1%. That's insane. That's Henry Ruggs in college-type uh, efficiency. <laughs> Like, as Corey wants to bring up all the time, the, the efficiency can't be argued. So, uh, if you're actually comparing, uh, comparing, one of the most efficient players in the league is actually his teammate, a consensus top five receiver in the NFL, Tyreek Hill. Now, I'm not going to uh, get into, oh, because he did this on a limited sample size, he's going to be able to do it on a Tyreek Hill sample size. That's not the argument I'm making. I'm just trying to provide context as to how fucking efficient this kid was last year. Tyreek Hill's uh, career uh, – uh, receiving uh, touchdown to catch rate is 11%. 32 touchdowns on 286 total catches, which fucking Hardman basically doubled last year. So uh, obviously it's a fool's errand again to compare 281 career catches to the 26 of Hardman. But the goal of the stat, again, was to provide context on how great Hardman was in such minimal volume. 
So the risk is there. I mean, he's never going to develop into the more than the number three target on the offense. I understand that. But if he's able to uh, even take the number two receiver role uh, from Sammy Watkins, who was the number two receiver last year, Watkins had 90 targets in 14 games. If you're using Hardman's efficiencies, which I know it's, a, again, fool's error to project 26 targets uh, translated into 90. But if you were to do so, that's 57 catches, almost 1,200 yards, and 13 touchdowns. So overall, you're getting a guy with this top 20 upside if his role is able to end up increasing. Again, Andy Reid's going to see this guy's an uber-efficient receiver. He's not just going to get the 41 targets that he did last year. Andy Reid would be foolish to leave such an explosive playmaker uh, without those targets. But if he is able to hit, if he is able to get 75, 80, maybe even 90 targets occupy the Watkins role, he presents top 20 upside. He's going at the wide receiver 50. So really, there's no reason not to take him in the 10th rounds of your draft for ultimately a guy with this much upside. Again, the targets may not be there. Maybe he busts for you. But I'm willing to take a chance on a guy like that in the 10th round for ultimately the, easily the most efficient receiver in football last year. So that, that's my thought. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And when you, when you see rookie receivers, when they have super efficient years like that, Yes, you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't translate to like their efficiency stays the same no matter how many targets they get. But usually what it translates to is more playing time and more targets and more volume. You saw that, you saw that with Juju Smith-Schuster, his rookie year. He was super efficient. Guess what? The next year he had a, like a 1,400-yard season. He got like crazy amounts of volume. Mikul Hardman, all he really has to do is like stay healthy, beat out Sammy Watkins, or wait for Sammy Watkins to get hurt. Because, or retire. Yeah, or retire. Sammy Watkins is done. Like he, he – like, Anyone who drafts Sammy Watkins this year thinking he's going to be anything, you're wasting Bobby. a draft pick. So just do, do whatever you can to not draft Sammy Watkins. Just draft this kid instead. Because even like, and I mean, I know like some leagues don't count this, but he's a punt returner too. And he, he can house a punt return. And that does, if you have scoring on for special teams, that helps your fantasy team as well. And let's not pretend it's out of the realm of possibility that Patrick Mahomes throws 45 touchdowns and, he has a super high touchdown rate. Like how many touchdowns is Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey really going to get? There's a chance that Hardman just has like a nine touchdown season. And he's like the perfect guy to toss into your flex spot uh, for like a boomer bust option in a, a good matchup. So I definitely love the pick of Hardman. He's definitely someone that's going to be owned probably all year. You know, he'll probably stay on someone's roster all year and you could probably use him as a sell high candidate if he has like a couple good games or whatever as well. So yeah, Hardman to me is, is, is a smash play, especially where he's going. And uh, I forgot to mention where Pittman was going. He was going, like, early 12th round. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Hardman, the, the guy I kind of look at in terms of, like, efficient play to ultimately translating to a second season is uh, you're, you're going to know, know this guy especially because he actually plays for my favorite team. You look at what Michael Gallup, the step he took. Between, you look at his teammate, too. Tyree yeah. killed the same thing as rookie yeah. year. I was actually going to mention Gallup because in terms of 15.4 uh, yards per reception, 33 catches, 510 yards. Hardman actually outproduced that, plain and simple. Gallup's first to second year transitioned from 33 for 507 and 2 to 66 for 1106 in, 12, in 14 games last year. I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Hardman took that type of role, uh, took that type of jump up, to be quite honest. Uh, you just have to target, again, second-year breakout receivers are ultimately the best values, in my opinion. Now, if they have great rookie, rookie seasons, their ADP will adjust accordingly, like, 
the A.J. Browns aren't going cheap, the Terry McLaurins. But these guys that are going under the radar, like the Marquise Browns, the Nicole Hardmans, these guys are going to outproduce what a lot of people think they will simply because a lot of people just look at box scores from last year and don't actually break down the efficiencies, break down the snap share, break down the overall, okay, they got this many targets, what did they do with it? And, and the progression, too, because you want to exactly. – especially for Hardman, who I believe Hardman is, like, one of the youngest receivers in the league. Like, I'm pretty sure he's, like, 21 years old. Like, yeah. he's super young. He was a super young prospect, and he, he – a lot of people didn't like him. I know that for sure because he had, like, no college production pretty much. So, to me, it was really impressive what he did on his limited sample size. And, obviously, his job is made super easy by the fact that he plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's in Andy Reid's system, and he has the best quarterback in the league throwing to him. But guess what? It's only going to get easier as he gets better as a player. So – for sure. uh, to me, Miko Hardman is definitely in dynasty, especially too. I, I think he's a perfect investment because I mean, in, in a year and a half, who knows, maybe Tyree Hill gets into more off the field trouble. Like you don't know that like Tyree Hill could do something stupid. Sammy Watkins could retire halfway through the year, like pull a fucking, whatever that guy's name was that retired at halftime for the bills. Oh, uh, uh, what's his name? The corner, uh, Vontae Davis. Yeah. I almost said Vontae <laughs> Mack, but that's draft day. Um, <laughs> yeah. Either way. So, yeah, definitely Nicole Hardman. Uh, anything else on that before we get out of here? Uh, not much. Yeah, just, again, make sure you guys target these guys because, again, you're going to make a bunch of money if you take these guys at their current yeah. EPs. For That's sure. That's all I Make sure you guys are uh, uh, leaving your likes, comments, and, uh, or leaving your likes, leaving your comments. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Hit that uh, bell notification button. We, we post a lot, if you haven't noticed. So, um we're, we're coming at you, as Danny would say, with the quality content. We're going to continue to come at you with the quality content. Uh, we have a draft guide releasing early July. Make sure you guys are watching our rankings videos. Those are going to be starting to roll out. Uh, I believe the first one came out uh, yesterday. So uh, make sure you check that out. Uh, click the link in the bio to, to sign up for our email list so that you can get discount codes and whatnot for our draft guide. It's going to be super cheap anyway, but we're going to discount it even more for you guys because – we're going to put in the hard work and not charge you a lot of money for it because that's just the kind of people we are. So sure. without further ado, guys, take it easy, take care and have a good Thursday. Peace out y'all.